Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you here on uh, on uh, the first, well, the first show of the month of March here. And, and uh, basketball's cranking up. We got a lot of other stuff going on. Baseball going, playing all kinds of extra innings um, against uh, against Ball State. You know, last night we're recording this on Thursday morning, March the seventh. But um, man, what a busy, busy time it is, and it's only going to get busier because. We're gonna have some more basketball in the mar- in the month of March. How you doing, Eric Lopez? I know you've been uh, you've been running back and forth between softball and baseball. What time did you get? What time did you and Murph get done last night? Oh, I left Murph hanging. I left early. I oh, left around come the tenth inning of that game. Are you kidding? I knew he taught I me. Mean, he warned me that game was gonna be a marathon. I'm like, hey, I can't, <laughs> I can't stay on this beat. That's why I do softball. See, the beauty of softball is even if we go long, it's still quick. At baseball, not so much. So. He's probably still recovering from that 13-inning game, plus he had football availability all that stuff. Right. So good luck with all that. Yeah. Murph is going to join us uh, a little bit later to talk about um, to talk about football and maybe a little bit of baseball if he has some time. But uh, we have a lot to talk about, about men's basketball, too, in the wake of one of the biggest wins maybe in school history. Uh, remember to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, we are SB Nation's home for your UCF Knights. You can also follow us. Uh, on uh, Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret and Facebook at facebook.com slash black and gold Banneret. Follow us individually at um, Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, Brian is at Spokes underscore Murphy. Don't forget to follow Luke Saris at Luke Saris SBN. Uh, we've also got uh, a, 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 a number of other people that you can follow as well for all the latest. Zach Goodall, Zach underscore Goodall. Uh, don't forget Jeremy Brenner um, at, Jer- at Jeremy Brenner. Uh, UCF Knights Nation as well. Chris Carter, we got uh, the whole crew is uh, out here and ready for you uh, as we move right along. All right. Uh, and Chaz Short, can't forget about Chaz as well uh, at CFB Asterisk. All right. I want to talk about, uh, we're going to start by talking about men's basketball. What can we say about uh, about UCF men's basketball last weekend as they go into Houston and do what nobody really expected them to do, which was beat the Houston Cougars, the number six ranked Houston Cougars uh, in uh, in Houston. It's funny, I was at the women's basketball game and I asked one of the guys who I sit next to at the table, I said, what do you think? Because the women were playing first and then the men were playing at four. Uh, and the, the women were at home. We were going to get home in time to see um, to see the to see the men's game. College game day was down at Houston. Big coming out party for Houston basketball and UCF goes in and spoils it. And I asked this guy, I said, what do you think of tonight? What do you think of the game later today? He's like, we got no chance. They're just way too good. And I, was, and I was like, all right. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think that we could have a shot if they don't play well. But um, yeah, but there's a, there's a possibility. I thought that there was a possibility there. Well, that second half, man, that was something. UCF shot 50% in that second half, 13 to 26. They held Houston to 10 for 31. And down the stretch, right when it looked like Houston was about to kind of take over and maybe put it away they were up to Houston was with a minute 57 to go and then what happens Aubrey Dawkins hits a three um Galen Robinson comes back misses a three for Houston Dawkins gets the rebound um and uh, and then he goes and then Corey Davis commits a foul it was his first foul of the game and what a time to do it because Dawkins hits those two free throws with 118 to go, and then suddenly UCF is up three. Then a turnover by Giroux. UCF gets the ball back. 
Colin Smith makes one out of two free throws, and UCF is suddenly up four in the final with 30 seconds to go, and they hit their free throws, and then that was that. Um, it was kind of an anticlimactic finish to a really climactic performance um, by UCF, but they did it by doing the little things down the stretch that we've been saying that, that we've been worried about. They hit their free throws. They played great defense down the stretch, and they got the job done, man. So let's talk about this from the big perspective. Like, it, How big of a win was this, not just for this team this year, but for the program in general? I think it's the biggest regular season win in program history. Uh, I think it's a Bigger win. Bigger than the Florida game. Yes, because this win's going to get you into the tournament. Uh, the Florida game did not. And, I mean, this was a game that was also on a day where college game day was there. It's on ESPN. Jay Billis is there courtside. <laughs> you know, he, he actually spent a four-minute br- uh, segment there where he's analyzing the game from the UCF bench. I mean, talk about exposure. Mm-hmm. Um it's the right behind his UCF old college match. teammate, Johnny Dawkins, right? Correct, which was cool. I mean, that's really cool. And it's the mo- it was the most watched UCF basketball game in cable television and uh, UCF basketball history. Uh, it, 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 it's just that's the biggest win in the regular season. Significant, just significant. Gets them into the top 25 polls, and it gets their ticket in the NCAA tournament. They're going to be in the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2005. And uh, it's just remarkable, just remarkable performance. Colin Smith, his best game as a night, yeah, uh, was dominant inside, and Taco has continued his torrid dominance inside to where I think he's playing himself into a first-team all-conference performer. Um, just a huge win, you know, because it answered all the critics' questions. Oh, like, well, can they win on the road? Oh, check. Can they beat a quality team? Check. Can they beat a ranked team? Check. I mean, <laughs> yeah, checked all the boxes, and uh, it was a big, big win, and. Uh, just proud for those for those guys they know they've worked hard and it's a huge win and now it's a question of you're playing for seeding here and you're you know you got cincinnati and you got temple and you know got the conference tournament and just try to build that momentum now from that houston game on but yeah it's the biggest win in basketball regular season and i know some people will cringe at this but i think it's the biggest win that any ucf team has had in the last few years real wow i mean that's yeah, that's saying something because even bigger than that uh, Illinois game at home uh, to get to the yeah. NIT Final Four. I mean, we were there for that one, and, and what a celebration that was. But you know, in terms of the big picture, yeah, I, 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 the overwhelming consensus right now seems to be that that this win basically sealed up an NCAA tournament. I'm never willing to go that far about that because it just you know I've seen stranger things happen. But just to give you an idea, so the, the the win puts UCF at 28th in the net rankings. On bracket matrix, which you guys know is my favorite thing to look at, um, UCF is now listed as an, NCAA, as an NCAA tournament team in all 127 bracketologist rankings that they, that they aggregate. Average seed is a 9.09. They're squarely a 9 seed alongside Oklahoma. Mississippi and VCU, who they project to be the uh, A-10 um, champion. And, but what I was really impressed with this game was down the stretch. What's been the MO the last four years down the stretch? It's B.J. Taylor, right? B.J. did not have a good game. He was one of six from the field. Yes, he was eight of eight at the line, 11 points. But 
It really wasn't his best game, and UCF found a way to win anyway, thanks to Aubrey Dawkins. And we got to hand it to, uh, we also got to hand it to Terrell, uh, to uh, uh, Terrell Allen and Deion, and Deion Griffin, but especially Deion Griffin, who hit three of four clutch free throws. He's, he's had his struggles at the line this year, but he hit some key free throws down the stretch. You mentioned Colin Smith, who was eight of 15 from the field, 21 points and seven rebounds. Let me ask you this then. Is there, now, now that's the part where we start looking ahead. Two games left in the regular season. Senior night Thursday, tonight, if you're listening to this, we're recording this on Thursday morning, uh, 7 p.m. against number 19, Cincinnati. First ever top 25 matchup in the building after right. history. Right, because UCF is now ranked top 25 in the AP. They're at number 25. Um, Cincinnati's 20 in the AP, 19th in the coaches. It's on ESPN2. Um, so good exposure there. Uh, last game of the regular season is going to be at Temple on Saturday at 4, also on ESPN2 or ESPN News. We don't know just yet. But my question is, is there a scenario that you see right now that could push UCF back to the outside looking in? Because I'm building, all, I'm reading all the hype. UCF's in now. They got the big win that they needed, but... I, 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 you know me. I'm paranoid. I, I get worried. So, like, what would what would be it? Like losing the last three games in a row? I mean, God yeah, losing forbid. out. I mean, losing out basically. Losing okay. out is when you would sweat. And I, and I even believe you know that that would be the scenario where it includes an opening round conference tournament loss. I think is where you start to sweat it out. But I think, to be honest, in that scenario, I think they would drop into the playing game in the NCAA tournament. I think the, the Houston win is such a on the road a lot of the bubble teams aren't going to have that in their resume right um that's what made UCF a bubble team was they didn't have a win like that correct right uh you know they're in the top four in a good league in the American conference you know obviously I think if they just I mean to me you you just win one of these next three games and I'm talking you know Cincinnati Temple and then that opening round conference or win, win the conference tournament game and get to the semis you're fine I don't even think that these two games are pivotal it's just really more icing on the cake and for seeding purposes mm-hmm. they could move up but look I mean people like John Rothstein and, and and Andy Katz a lot of media people like this team and and I think the AP voters showed that right by voting him in the top 25 that tells yeah. you how impressive with that performance and so no i think they're in i mean i felt pretty good going into the houston game they had a shot pretty good shot to get in and i think they're definitely in obviously you would want to win one of your next three games that you you know and and not even worry about it i think the worst case scenario is you lose out and you may sweat it out and you may end up in the playing game but uh i i don't think that will happen i think they will win one of these next three games and i think they will be in the field of 68 for the first time uh, since 2005, and for the first time in the probably in the history of the program, as an at-large, unless they win the conference yeah. tournament. Well, this game against Cincinnati starts to get it look really interesting because Cincinnati, uh, again, they have they have them right around like a six-seven seed somewhere around there, um, at yeah. least as of right now. Some places have um, have the Bearcats uh, as high as a five, um, but I think that the real game that's gonna that we're gonna have to keep a very close eye on is that Temple game. Uh, the Cincinnati game, you know, one way that can go one way or the other. I think you, you never know when you play against that team. Yeah, because... and by the way, let me just tell people now: don't if you're looking for offense, don't because nope. I, I laughed the last time these two teams played. Everybody's complaining about the the offensive struggles. I'm no. like, did you not watch these two teams play yeah. before? Like, yeah, this to... is what they're, this is, 
<laughs> to, to use a tell me if this is an accurate analogy this is going to be a tables ladders and chairs match yeah yeah i mean these two teams when ucf beat cincinnati at, at home a couple that year where they made the nit run it was like a 53 49 game i mean that's what these two teams are going to play they're going to play a game in the 50s um probably the first team to the high 50s maybe even you know if we're lucky wins this game so I don't want to hear the Twitter complaints about, oh, the offense struggles there, you know. <laughs> All right, yeah, well, you should know by that. now that Mick Cronin and his and it, that Cronin's cronies like to uh, like to really slow things down and turn it into turn it into a rock what fight. What it reminds me of is back in the old NBA days in the late '90s, 2000s Heat Knicks games. Remember those games in the playoffs? Oh, yeah. where it was like 75, 72, and it was just that's what UCF Cincinnati is, and that's what I expect to see there. So. Uh, please don't stop complaining about the offense because you're not. You're not. Both these teams play great defense. The Temple game, that's a huge game for Temple. They yes. need that game to have a shot to get into the NCAA tournament, make this a four-bid league for the league. So they're going to be ready for that game. That's going to be yeah. a buzzsaw for UCF that they're going to run into. It. They're going to have to withstand probably an early run from Temple there. Remember, that's going to be Coach Dumphy's last home game as the head coach of Temple. He's retiring. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a lot of emotion in Philadelphia that UCF's going to have to withstand uh, in that game. So this will not be two easy games from that from that, for, 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 from that perspective. Um, and if UCF can get a split, I would take it right now and run it to the bank. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well because, and by the way, Fran Dunphy, who's been at Temple now for – 14 years um it took over for john cheney um the legendary john cheney who they named the court after i mean it's you know it, uh, pour out a little bit for coach dunphy there uh, pl uh playing in his la or coaching his final uh ncaa or his final home game at temple yeah they're going to be ready they're you know they're going to be ready to go for that because you know, a lot of projections right now have Temple kind of just barely on the outside looking in. A bunch of places have them first four out. Some places have them, you know, around 11, 12. We don't know. I think uh, Lenardi has them as a 12. Um, SB Nation uh, has them as a 12. We just don't know. We just don't know at this point. Um, so uh, this is a absolutely critical, critical game for Temple, and we need to keep a very close eye uh, on that game going forward. Not that, you know, we're saying look ahead, but, you know, in the preview for this weekend, that's the big, that, that, that's going to be a big, big test before you head out to the, head out to Memphis for that conference tournament. Again, at Memphis, uh, I don't know, but uh, again, next weekend. So massive, massive games coming up. Um, that will very quickly put this victory at Houston um, in the rearview mirror. So again, Thursday is seven against Cincinnati. Games on ESPN two. Do we know who's calling that game? By the way, I don't have it top of me. You can check it out on the. Hang game. on, let me check it out. Let me check it out in the Guinness because I know our, uh, the typical um, the, it, our, our usual guys are going to be there for. Uh, for uh, for UCF yeah, with Mark. Taylor Young and Mark. On oh, okay, here Mike Corey and uh, and John Thompson is going to be there. So John Thompson the third, yeah, they're uh, they're both. Uh, I know John Thompson the third is going to be involved in the conference tournament in Memphis. He's yes, gonna be calling games in the conference tournament with Adam Amin, among others. So that'll be uh, in Memphis. But we'll look ahead to that next week. Right, right. So again, twenty five versus twenty. Uh, in the AP, uh, big top twenty five matchup in the historic American. match. Hopefully, we get a great environment. Uh, yeah, they're trying the to sell out the game. arena too. You know, I mean, it's. Do you think they'll get that? 
you know, I'm the wrong guy to ask because I was skeptical back. Remember, you and I were skeptical in the since the uh, NIT quarterfinal game. Oh, they're not going to sell this out in 24, 48 hours. And then we walked into the building right after a yeah. softball game against Florida State. We walked in and we were like, our jaws dropped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if they get to that point, but I do think it'll be should be the largest crowd of the year. How about that? I know that uh, right now UCF at twenty two and six, twelve and four, they've clinched uh, a, uh, a, a what's what's the answer? That clinched a, a a berth in the tournament uh, for the uh, American Athletic Conference. Have they clinched a bye? I think they they may have clinched a bye. Yeah, top four get a bye. Yeah, top uh, four get a bye. So right now that's Houston, Cincinnati, UCF, and Temple. Oh, they have clinched the bye. Okay, so that win over Houston did clinch the bye. Yep. So no matter, even if UCF loses out, they uh, they will not play in that first round, which is critical, isn't it? Yeah, because it avoids a bad loss in theory. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you would. Uh, now it's a question of you know you want to try to get the highest seed possible, and I do agree with Murph. I've talked to Murph about this, and he's talked about it in the podcast. You probably want to avoid playing Memphis in the quarterfinal. Oh yeah. In, at their part. At their place. That's the danger zone right there. Yeah. So uh, right now Memphis is on the outside looking in. They're, they're, I, uh, they would be fifth right behind Temple. So, again, another reason why T- a lot's riding on this game for Temple. Um, so that they can preserve that by um, and possibly bump Memphis Correct. down to that first day of the tournament at home. So, um, yeah, you got to turn right around after getting after again getting into a rock fight with Cincinnati at home and you got to get ready for Temple in that game so that's going to be uh, something we're going to have to keep a very close eye on as UCF winds down the last two games of the regular season against two uh, really good opponents all right baseball uh, let's flip over here to uh, to Greg Lovelady's guys who are nine and three on the year um, obviously they played every game but one at home but um the uh, uh, last night against Ball State, first of all, the, uh, the Knights did get um, two out of three against Jacksonville um, over uh, over the weekend, uh, including a six to four comeback victory on Sunday. But um, this Ball State game that happened on Wednesday night was uh, was really something <laughs> um, brutal. You you were there weather. for much of it. Unfortunately, Murph is still is still locked up doing uh, doing media availability. But uh, but he was there for the entire night. It was freezing cold last night. It was forty one degrees. Um, UCF gets to win nine to eight in thirteen innings. Um, just to give you an idea of how this game went down, so Ball State takes a four nothing lead into the uh, bottom of the seventh, and UCF gets four runs to tie it. They get thrown out at home trying to score the winning run in the bottom of the ninth, all right? So we go we go 10-11. In the 12th, Ball State scores two in the top. The Knights answer with two in the bottom. Ball State scores another two in the top of the 13th. So they're up eight to six again, and then UCF manages to push three across uh, on uh, a uh, game-winning uh, RBI single, officially by uh, by Castellano, and 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 they managed to win the game. Pedro Castellano, the the left fielder, um, who came in in uh, who was actually the third left fielder of the game for UCF after Tyler Ozick went uh, 0 for four at the plate, but three for five for Ray Alejo, um, who, uh, if I'm not mistaken, did score the um, the the winning run. 
Um, no, it was McCabe who scored. I'm sorry. But, um, you know, <laughs> somehow the Knights get the job done against this crazy Ball State team in this wild game. Do we learn anything from that? Or is it just one of those, like, you know, midweek non-conference games where just everything kind of more or less, well, it doesn't go wrong, but you just got to fight your way through. Yeah, I don't know if he, I would take too much of it. And I give Murph credit. Murph <laughs> called this game. He called this right before the game. This was going to be like the Bradley game from last year. It was just going to be all, all over the place, and that's what this game was. The weather was brutal. It was like 40-some degree weather by the time I got there. Uh, not a lot of people stayed. Yeah. <laughs> Murph did. For whatever reason, he decided to stay because he's loyal. Um, <laughs> and he loves punishment. Um, he loves punishment. <laughs> but does. He just collect. I mean, I sat with him. I'm like, why do you do this to yourself? Like, what are you doing? He yeah. just, he does. You were done with, yeah. He called it you last know, night on Twitter, man. I got. He told me last night. He's like, I'm surprised that I haven't been banned by Twitter yet for all the for all the volume from this one particular moment. But uh, but yeah, we've got. But, but yeah, it was great. I mean, it was just funny because I got, I came over from softball. And I got there in the seventh inning. Even the security guy was shocked. Like, why are you coming here? <laughs> right. What are you like, doing? You know, I want to. <laughs> yeah, but I will say this: it avoids a bad loss. I mean, that's the big takeaway. You avoid a, a bad loss in the resume after the win against Florida. Um, you know, they've got some things to work, uh, clean up a little bit and uh, yeah. we'll see what they do against Penn state. Um, you know, I think they got some questions in the bullpen a little bit, but they found a way to win and that's a good pot. That's always a better, the, the, that's always better than the net, you know, the alternative. So that's what I would say. But, uh, <laughs> I give Murph credit. He called that. He said it was going to be a marathon game and it was just going to be one of those games that, uh, it's just going to be all over the place. And I think even Greg Lovelady was kind of like, eh, there's not much to say about it. So you just move on. And now they got Penn State at home and they got to see if they refocus. You get Chris Williams back, who looked great on Saturday night. I saw him actually on Saturday night after softball. They, they were dominant. And that's huge for them to get their big weapon back in that rotation there uh, mm-hmm. in Williams. Both teams, by the way, in that game last night used eight pitchers each. I mean, that gives yeah. you – and, and the, really the bummer for UCF was Tom Cheshirek who um, – who finally got cleared to come in and or got cleared to pitch. And so he goes last night and he did not have a good outing. He threw only one third, walked three, gave up a run and a quick hook from, um, from Greg Lovelady after 24 pitches gave way to Jalen Whitehead, who um, actually did a pretty good job in three and two thirds, um, holding ball state to one run on four hits. Um, uh, Louis Ferrer, by the way, who gave up two runs in the top of the, in the in the top of the thirteenth, managed to get the win, throwing the last two two uh, throwing the last two innings. So, um, yeah, I mean, make of that what you will. So, UCF baseball next. They got a, a three game set with Penn State coming up uh, Friday at six, Saturday at six, Sunday um, at one. That'll be on uh, UCF Knights TV. Chance against a Big Ten opponent, and then Yale midweek Tuesday and Wednesday. Both of those games are at uh, six p.m. Um, as well. All right. Um, coming up next, we're going to talk to Mur- I'm going to talk to Murph about uh, football, but I know I know that you have to roll real quick, Elo. We'll be back with you uh, in actually uh, a little bit to yeah, talk know, some as riveted basketball. As I am about spring football, as riveted as I am, I will. <laughs> I know we're, we're glad to step aside for that. One. All right, so we're going to so we're going to tag you out, and uh, and we're going to bring Murph here uh, in a uh, in a hot second to talk about uh, the beginning of spring football and it, what if anything we can learn. Uh, from that so stick around we'll be right back all right joining me now to talk a little spring football is uh the sleep deprived brian murphy after that 13 inning marathon uh last night at ucf baseball he'll be 
Uh, he, he's actually just got done with media availability at football on Thursday afternoon. Uh, and uh, we'll be sticking around on campus to cover the basketball game uh, Thursday night, uh, also known as tonight, against Cincinnati. Like, seriously, where, where, where's your tent? Where in the Arboretum are you hiding your tent or tiny I home really, or whatever? I really do need to, like, reserve a couch somewhere on campus <laughs> and just crash there, at least for the next couple of weeks as the spring equinox uh, rolls on. I know. This is this is brutal, man. So that 13-inning ball game last night was just ridiculous. Ridiculous, but um, yeah, I, I I won't force you to recount that, you know, lest you, you know, start having convulsions of some kind. But um, yeah. I want to talk a little football with you because spring practice is underway, and uh, well, you know how I feel about spring practice. It's like it's much ado about nothing. But there are a couple storylines heading in there. Obviously, Brandon Wimbush um, and uh, and Daryl Mack at, at the quarterback position. We're going to get our first look at Dylan Gabriel. Um, we're, we're going to see, you know, what this roster kind of looks like with some of the new weapons at those guys' disposals, you know, with some of the guys who moved on, like Dredrick Snelson and whatnot. But for you, heading into um, heading into this spring stretch, what are the, what do you think are the real storylines that fans need to be paying attention to, but maybe aren't? Well, I think the thing that everyone wants to know is how does this team sort of. Uh use a loss something that hasn't this something that this program hasn't experienced in two seasons basically how do they use a loss to motivate them for the following year so i think most of my questions have been uh fiesta bowl tinged and to to a man really we've talked to coaches and players on both the offensive and defensive sides uh they are not shying away from that game they're they've not they've not put it out of their minds they're they, they are not moving past it or forgetting about it uh, they're using it. Uh, they will tell you openly that the, that 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 they are disappointed with the way that game against LSU turned out. Uh, they're using it as motivation. Uh, they don't like the way they played, and they're kind of trying to have to have that serve as a springboard uh, for this spring and into the fall. They are not trying to uh, uh, you know forget about uh, the Fiesta Bowl. What do the coaches say that they want to get done in this period? I mean, it's one thing you know last year. You're starting with a new coaching staff. You know, there's there there's always an adjustment period. Like there's some sort of there's some degree of offensive and defensive installation of you know terminology and personnel groupings and all that kind of stuff that you have to do. What mm-hmm. are they trying to get? What are the coaches trying to get done this spring? Just familiarity, getting guys used to concepts, getting used to roles. Uh, you know, seeing where guys fit. I mean. No one has, I mean, they'll say no one has, you know, a job lockdown. That's what Heupel said on uh, on Monday. And I think Richie Grant echoed that today. Certainly, you can quibble with that because certainly there are guys who are starting. But the, the, the point of the concept is uh, that everyone out here is competing for, you know, a role. And what, what is your role? A lot of these guys we don't know yet. Certainly on the defensive line, uh, past Brendan Hayes, it's a lot of new guys. They lost, you know, Joey Connors, Tristan Hill, A.J. Wooten, Titus Davis. So that defensive line is new uh you know they lost pat jasinski at linebacker uh you know offensive line is a couple of new pieces they got replaced there you mentioned Rodrick nelson he's gone so you try to fit new guys in get them familiar and make sure the guys who were here last year sort of take on more of a leadership role which we're seeing more out of from guys like richie grant uh, the redshirt junior safety uh, Nate Evans, who's now probably going to be middle linebacker uh, in place of uh, Pat Jasinski, guys like that, and, and you just you just want to get on the field and, and um, keep them fit. And 
if anybody's out here trying to find real news, like who's winning the quarterback battle, uh, you're going to have to wait a good six months for that. Yeah, I was going to say the quarterback thing because you. It, it, it... I mean, I'm getting fans yelling at me on Twitter saying, you know, well, how many quarterbacks is Josh Heupel saying that he has? He said he only had four, but I see five. Like, you know, like what's going on? And I'm telling people, like, it is way too freaking early yeah. to 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 be to be parsing that kind of stuff. But insofar as there is any news on that front, what news is there on the quarterback front? Nope. <laughs> it's Brandon Wimbush I mean, wears number three. That's about it. Yeah, <laughs> they, they all they all look they all look great. Everyone yeah. is everyone is fantastic. Everyone's uh, healthy, yeah. ready to compete. You know, it's right. gonna be uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough competition out there because we're very talented at that position. It was semi cute watching uh, Mac and uh, Wimbush watch Dylan Gabriel's first meeting with the press on Monday. So Gabriel comes in, true freshman quarterback from Hawaii. And after Mac and Wimbush have spoken to reporters, Gabriel steps in for his first go-round in front of the cameras. And Wimbush and Mac are, like, watching him uh, from behind the cameras. It was <laughs> sort of cute as they sort of watch over him. And then when he was done, they applauded him. And uh, so I mean, that's kind of cute. But there's really no – no one's going to talk to you about death – no one was going to say anything about death chart or who's starting where. We, I think we asked Randy Shannon that today – and Randy, not one to go really long-winded on things. It's just like, no, we're, we're, there's no, there's no jobs, you know, being handed out here. We're, 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 we're all competing. And uh, there are guys who will be on this team who are, are not even here yet. They will enroll as freshmen uh, before the new semester starts in right. the fall. So th- there are pieces on this team that aren't even here yet. So anybody out there trying to search for depth chart nuggets or who's winning the quarterback battles or any battles across the field. You are way too early for that. This is just a check-in with UCF football. Um, this isn't going to stop me from asking another question about quarterbacks. Um, Great. All right, so Mackenzie Milton earlier this uh, week uh, went through the car wash on local radio, um, yeah. kind of updating everybody on his condition and some of the stuff that he's been that he's been doing and to try and recover from his leg injury. Um, he was at practice. He kind of hinted a little bit about, you know, maybe spending this year up in the up in the coaching booth, kind of getting a new perspective. What is going to be his role, uh, more or less, uh, with this team? Are we able to even glean that to some extent? Well, I, yeah, I'm not even sure they're going to let him up in the coach's booth. I think that's still something that, that I think he wants to do, but I don't know if they will actually let him do that. For now, because we don't have a game to go off of, uh, he's on the practice field in his, you know, in the golf cart, or or maybe standing around a couple times and, and uh, just checking guys out, uh, giving tips where he can, sort of being the player coach that he that he sort of was at the end of last season, and that's kind of going to be his role, no matter where he is actually stationed at on game day. That's going to be his role uh, on game day this season. He will not play. Everyone knows he will not play this year, uh, and you know, and he, uh, it's going to be interesting to see. If you know what kind of feedback, not not everyone's gonna say he was he's, he's gonna be great as a coach or, or giving them feedback, but I wonder if there will be certain times after games where they will point to something maybe McKenzie saw in film study that gave them an edge, that that gave them a look, that provided them an opening to a play that broke a game open. Maybe that happens. 
uh, that that would be interesting. But otherwise, it's it's nice to have him around. Heibel said it's also good for him to be here as well, which I agree with. I mean, it's just good for him to be around football, right? And, and be with and be with this team. So, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's it's a McKenzie Milton player coach, and I think both parties, UCF and Milton, are satisfied with that uh, for this year. All right. So, again, night fans, please. Don't ask granular questions about spring football because not even the coaches so, would answer. It's not worth it. It's they're just not going to go there. <laughs> I mean, Brendan. I mean, like I think they said today, like Brendan Hayes, who is your start, literally your your starting defensive uh, uh, end this year. Last spring, when Shane Burnham came in, like Brendan Hayes, I think was third on the depth chart. Like, right. and, and this is it's just it's just so early. Just don't worry about that stuff. We got guys on the team who aren't even on the team yet. Again, <laughs> please. Please understand what spring ball is. It is purely a way to check in and say hello and, and what's up, how everything's been going over the last couple of months. Then we have a spring game, which is whatever. It's it's for revenue. It's a, it's a practice held in the stadium is what Correct. it is. <laughs> it's a practice. We talk about practice for a month, and then we leave. It's not a dress rehearsal. <laughs> no, we leave for five months. We don't learn much of anything. As long as guys don't get hurt, that's all that matters. Yep. Yeah. And see, yeah. See, that's the thing that I always get scared of is, you know, because every year you always hear about it, not somebody, you know, not somebody on UCF, but some key player for some key school suffers some sort of season ending injury in spring football, like, you know, made a bad cut and blew a knee yeah. out, God forbid, or something. It's like, please, dear God, don't let that happen here. So, um, they won't. It, I, probably the guy who had, probably the people who have the most, um, the most nerves heading into this is the athletic training staff, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> they're they're, they're, grand, yeah. they're just trying to keep everybody healthy out there. So, all right, you're heading to uh, basketball uh, a little bit later uh, here on I'm Thursday he- I'm night. Heading to, I'm heading to baseball by the time you get this. Oh up. no, that's right. Yeah, you're gonna have base. You got baseball availability, and then yeah. and then the basketball game tonight. Um, Lopez and I okay. talked about the basketball game just real quick. I want to get your take on it because sure. you know it's. I'm I'm actually more nervous about the Temple game up there um, than kind of this game. I mean, this game is going to be a rock fight, but it's two ranked teams. We're more or less in the in the eyes of the national media, um, mm-hmm. basically neck and neck with Cincinnati. It's like it's like six and six and a half dozen or or, or another. But it, UCF is a two and a half point home favorite, which right. tells you there they would be a new they would be a it'd be a push on neutral court. On neutral court, these guys are the same team. Right. And and Cincinnati, I mean, we know what we're going to get from them. Um, yep. Eric made the point, and I, I tend to agree with him, that your first team to 50 wins. Um, we are going to yep. see senior night, though, tonight, and that's going to be fun. What's the big story with senior night? Because Taco Fall's mom is in town. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. His mother, uh, who has been living you know, in, in his home, in his hometown in Senegal. Yeah, Dakar, uh, Senegal. His- is that right? Yeah, Descartes, yeah, and with his younger brother, uh, I think his I think his name is Fallow. Uh, they've been living in Senegal ever since Taco left to come to the United States seven years ago as a 16 year old. So they have not seen each other since then. That is until Sunday, this past Sunday, the day after the Houston win. UCF returned home that night, and then the next morning, uh, the Taco Fall, his mother Marianne, and his brother Fallow saw each other for the first time in seven years. Wow. Uh, and and they and this and tonight Thursday's game will be the first time that Marianne has ever seen Taco play basketball live. Her entire 
uh, you know, like her her library of Taco Fall basketball memories right now, at least in college, is YouTube clips. She follows the UCF Knights YouTube account and see clips of the games he plays, but she has never seen him. She has never seen him play live. She will be there tonight for senior night along with his younger brother, who I believe is 13 years old. Uh, it's a, it's a pretty cool story. She got a visa just recently to come over and, um, and yeah, it's gonna be very emotional. Everybody's very excited. I asked taco yesterday, what kind of fan do you think she's going to be like, like what's her emotions going to be like? And taco said, they better not be fouling me a lot because she'll come on the court. And so <laughs> that'd be fantastic. That would be great. Now, he's been playing so well the last the last couple of weeks, I think particularly on the defensive end. He's the reigning conference player of the week. Yeah. I, I mean, what is – what do you sense is going to be the – how he comes out, not just tonight, but I think the rest of the, but I think the rest of the time, because this is, this is kind of like walking on the moon for him. I mean, he's seeing his family for the first time. in, like you said, seven years, that's such a long time to be away from your people. And, and, uh, and, and that can go, you, we've seen this before, right? I mean, that can go one of two ways. You can either be really nervous, you know, and kind of just be out of sorts, or you can really come out like crazy. Did, did you get the sense from talking to, uh, to taco, like how, how it's going to work for him with the, with this game and how emo- how he's going to be able to handle this emotional moment. I get the sense that Taco is not an extremely emotional person, and so I don't know how that maybe would work. I don't want to do any armchair sports psychology here, but oh come you know, on, let's speculate a little. I bit. I know, right? I hate that. I really do. I hate it. But <laughs> if we're going to guess, I would assume that he doesn't get sort of swallowed up by by the by the environment and by the moment and by what this all means. I'm sure that, I'm sure he'll be nervous early on because. Um, this is kind of what senior night is senior night's about you, the senior. And so you get that spotlight on you. And especially with his family there, there's going to be a lot of butterflies and just uh, some different emotions. But I think once the game begins, uh, Taco's pretty good at focusing in on, on just the game itself. I don't think it'll have a huge impact on his on court play. Uh, but uh, you know, maybe interesting to see how he, how he acts or how he, um, you know, emotes himself beforehand and after the game, especially if they win. Yeah, not just him, but also, you know, B.J. Taylor is going to be playing his final home game Mm -hmm. as a UCF Knight, and that's going to be a a really emotional moment for him, too. Local kid and all the stuff that, you know, B.J. has has done for UCF over the years. One of the greatest players in program history. I feel like it's almost a footnote. It seems like, you know, which is kind of weird. But, but yeah, it's going to be an emotional night tonight. Who knows how the result of the game goes, but uh, but it's going to be uh, really something. You're going to be live tweeting that thing, right? Oh yeah, I'll be there. I will say this: uh, if UCF wins this game, I've never said UCF is in the tournament uh, after the Houston game. I never said that. I said it puts them in a good position. They could secure it. If they win tonight, they, they will definitely be in the tournament. It's pretty if much a lock. Win, it'll be. It's a lock. Lock. It's a lead pipe double cinch. Uh, if they went on, if they lose tonight and then went on Saturday, same thing. They're 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 in. They're 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 totally in. If they went on Saturdays, uh, even if they lose tonight, and even if they lose these next two tonight and uh, at Temple, I think if they win their first game in the conference tournament, that also would get them in. It would keep them off the bubble, probably away from Dayton as well. So, really, for UCF, if you just want to make it in, survive all the bid stealers throughout conference week, you're looking to win one of your last at least three games. That's all you need. You just need to win one of three, and that probably is 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 going to lock you in. One out of three. That's all I need. All right, Brian Murphy, thank you so much for joining us uh, 
uh, from campus. Uh, have fun talking baseball, and, and then uh, we'll probably see you. Hopefully, you won't get any loose balls batted your way like you have been seemingly once a game at this point. You know. I, that's why I sit. That's why I sit up top. I sit at the top of the concourse now. Oh, now you sit at the top of the. Oh, come on! They don't put you. you you're staying away from the sidelines. Oh man, the, the base the baseline view is so overrated. It's the worst view on the court. Uh, uh, at least at least when you sit up top, you get a good depth perception of what's happening. All right, all right. Well, yes. well, we, then we won't see you then, uh, which makes me sad because <laughs> I'm always looking for you with your hat. All right, uh, Brian Murphy, thanks again for joining us. Stick around. We'll be right back. Lopez is going to join us back here in a little bit, and we're going to talk with Aline Reyes, the former uh, UCF women's soccer star who's now in the Brazilian national team. We're going to talk a bunch of other stuff uh, right here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Stick around. Back after this. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret on Twitter, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Uh, Murph is off to do uh, some, you know, interviewing of people. So it's me and Lopez back here with you uh, for the second half of the show. Um, and we got a lot going on here because, uh, you know, like I said, we're in the spring equinox and it's not just you know UCF stuff that's going on but a lot of uh, uh but a lot of former UCF athletes are um getting uh, are handling some business and uh uh Eric you were lucky enough to talk with uh one of them who uh was getting some business done right here in the state of Florida Alini Reyes the former uh goalkeeper for UCF who's now part of the Brazilian women's national team they were in Tampa for uh the She Believes Cup um, against the United States, and that gave you the opportunity to uh, catch up with Aline uh, as she's back here in the States. Yeah, it was great to catch up with her and uh, obviously coming into the States, of course, starting on that match on the Tuesday night on Fox Sports 1. And I had a chance to talk to her right before that uh, that match about a lot of different things, about how the journey of becoming the goalie for the Brazilian national team. This is a big year for Aline Reyes with the Women's World Cup just around the corner this summer, trying to make it there and become the second UCF player ever, joining Michelle Akers to play in a World Cup after she made her debut with the Brazilian national team in the Olympics in Rio two years ago. We talked about all that and how that journey almost didn't happen because she didn't actually believe in going out to being the Brazilian national team until a little later than expected. Here's my interview, exclusive interview with Alina Reyes on the Black and Gold Banneret. All right, joining us now, one of the legendary greatest goalies of all time in UCF soccer history, played at UCF from 2008 to 2011, led him to the Elite Eight in 2011, Conference USA Championship. She was an All-American and, of course, now playing overseas, playing for the Brazilian national team. She appeared in the Summer Olympics two years ago in Rio and is playing now professionally over in Europe over there in the Spanish League. I speak of Alinea Reyes. Join us now here on the Black and Go Banneret podcast. Uh, how you doing? Hello, Eric. It's so good to be here and talking to you and uh, talking to the Night Nation. And it's very good to, to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, to tell the other night fans, what have you been up to as far as professionally? Because you're playing overseas professionally in, uh, in the Spanish League. Uh, that's got to be a, not a bad place to be played. Just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I well, I made the decision to go over to Spain because the league has, has been growing a lot. Um, it still has long ways to go, but I think in two, three years, we're going to be talking about one of the best leagues in the world for women's soccer. So 
um, this year, especially because if it, it's a big year for me, uh, it's a big year for women's soccer. It's uh, the World Cup, the 2019 World Cup. So I um, I thought that the most important thing was for me to play in a competitive league that would go, you know, all year long and would get me prepared for the World Cup. So that's why I, I decided to uh, go over to Spain and I... I love my decision. I haven't regretted because, like I said, it is competitive. Um, I play for a team. It's called UDG Tenerife. So basically, I live on an island. Um, that's pretty incredible, too. I have a very good quality of life. And I think when you're an athlete and, you know, you're, you're training so hard and, and football, soccer is such a big part of your career, you have you need to find downtime and you need to find time to relax and take care of yourself. And luckily, I'm in the right place to do that. And, of course, you're also part of the Brazilian national team. Uh, it, so how do you balance that out, playing for your pro, uh, you know, your club team, but you're also playing for your country? That's always the uniqueness, right? In soccer, you have to balance both of them out, especially this year, as you mentioned, a critical year with the Women's World Cup taking place this summer in France. Uh, so how do you balance that schedule? So luckily, um, our schedule allows that because there are FIFA dates where I do not have games with my club team. The league uh, sort of stops on those weekends, uh, not weekends, but like, uh, let's say, 10-day period. And, um, and I'm allowed to go with the national team. So that has worked out pretty well. I mean, uh, for us as athletes, it, sometimes it's a little bit challenging because you're traveling so much and and basically you don't it's hard to get a week off you know uh during the year because um when you're not with your team with your club team you are with the national team but that's how how it is i mean i'm not the only one doing that i mean all over the world all the international players that that play for clubs and then play and then serve their national team they're doing the same thing so um the good thing like i said the league is on board and on fifa dates um we don't have games so um i end up not missing anything with um with my club you uh and, and what people don't realize is you didn't play right after you finished your career at ucf you went into coaching right away you you actually joined coach cromwell uh, at UCLA as a goal uh, goalkeeper coach for from 2013 to 2016, you were a part of that national championship that Coach Cromwell and UCLA won in 2013. But you then decided to come back and play. Take me through that decision making of, hey, I want to try out again and try to play because I know that was part of the motivation was the fact that the Summer Olympics were in Rio in Brazil and and with Brazil hosting that was I know something that that intrigued you. And I know Coach Cromwell and I have talked for years. She always felt you should have been on the Brazilian national team even when you were playing at UCLA. <laughs> yeah that this has been a crazy ride because i mean like you said i graduated from ucf and then i i actually played in finland for like a couple of months and that was just you know to get out a little bit and you know um have a new experience but then back then that was 2011 i mean uh the women's soccer like the pro world of women's soccer wasn't what it is today you know so uh, like i said it's a it's a sport that has been growing a lot for us and um i you know looking at, at, at 
uh, the opportunities. I wanted to be in America. I didn't. I didn't want to go overseas uh, back in 2011. You know, um, in the pro league in in the United States, um, there wasn't one. So when I graduated, there wasn't the draft. There wasn't anything like that because uh, pro soccer um, in America didn't exist in in 2011. So um, so Amanda um, offered me before I went over to UCLA with her. She offered me a position as a director of operations at, at UCF. So that allowed me to stay involved with the team. Um, that allowed me to do my master's at UCF. And it was an amazing opportunity. And, you know, uh, I have, I can't even begin to tell you how thankful I am to the UCF women's soccer staff. I mean, it has been, uh, I think my years at UCF was one of, they were one of the, there were some of the most memorable years, uh, some of the most, uh, some of the years that I grew the most, and that's thankful to to the people that that were around me. And Amanda um, is a big part of my life. Donna Fisher, Big D, the goalkeeper coach, is a big part of my life. Um, Kobe Hale, who saw me in Brazil and, and brought me here, you know, it all started thanks to him. So I mean, those people, I was so thankful to to all of them that. You know, it just felt right to be at UCF and and continue my studies and, and be surrounded by those people. But then again, like you said, Amanda went over to UCLA um, and offered me the position to coach her keepers. And I mean, at that time, it, it, it was like the right thing to do. And I was so excited. And I don't regret for a minute because, I mean, I saw the game, I started seeing the game in a whole different way, you know, and and those years taught me so much as well. And we were lucky to, uh, not lucky, but I mean, we, we won a national championship and, and that was amazing. That's a, that was an incredible moment as well. But then uh, the 2015 World Cup came around and I remember like we were at a summer camp at, at UCLA and um, we had this room full of kids, full of, of girls watching Brazil uh, play against Australia. And I just remember watching that game and, and having a funny feeling like I'm, I'm supporting my national team. I know most of those girls. I've played with most of those girls in the past. And, and you know, I want them to win so bad. But at the same time, I have this feeling that man, I, I could have been there, you know, look, like I could have been on the field. I could have been with the team. And, and then that, that was the, the turning point that, that got me thinking so hard. And, and then I, I, I brought this crazy dream to Amanda and I brought this crazy dream to, to the people that I was close with. And, and they were all like, what took you so long? You know, what took you so long to realize that you should be playing, you should be, you should be on the field, you know, like you have your whole life to coach afterwards. And, uh, you know, your playing career, like you only have so many years. So that was that was the point that I said, you know what, like I have nine months. By the time I, I made the decision, you know, to to start training again and, you know, and made the decision that I was going to do everything possible so I could make the the real um, Olympics, the 2016 Olympics, um, I had about nine months and to, to do it all, you know. So 
I had to sit down and 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 put a plan together because I mean things just don't happen like that, you know. So uh, it's the training, and then it's making sure that I go to the right team that that put me in front of the Brazilian coaches. It's reaching out to them and making sure that they're watching me, you know. So I made sure to do like all the little things that would give me a chance uh, to be in the Olympics, and and luckily like. <laughs> It turned out very well, and and I was able to make the team, and I played a game. That was my actually, that was my first cap, uh, with the, with the full team, the full Brazilian national team, and that was, in Brazil, in front of like, uh, forty three thousand people, and you know, in an Olympic game. So that was amazing. Yeah, I'd say so. That's a pretty good journey there. Yeah, you play, You started against South Africa, played all 90 minutes. What was that like? Well, tell me, take me through that as you're on the field getting ready on the pitch there and you're wearing the Brazilian jersey, you're getting the national anthem, you're getting ready to play against South Africa here in the Olympics, here in your home country. Well, um, stopping on the field and, and seeing all of those people, especially like most of them Brazilians, and, you know, that, that – that was special. That was a, a moment I'll never forget. But, I mean, it lasted for about, like, 30 seconds, just looking at everyone and, and being like, whoa, like, I'm here, I'm doing this. But then, like, it's, uh, for me, like, it's it's just, like, you need to take it as it's just another game, you know. It's, 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 a, it's a soccer game. I need to be on the field. I need to get my head on the game, not think about what all of this means because I need to be thinking about the soccer ball right now. And, and I think that's what I did. I mean, during the game, um, I wasn't really putting much thought into what that game meant to me. I, I was just focused and making sure I, I did well and I could give my best on the field. And then afterwards, that's when it all hit me, you know, like what that moment, what that game meant to me. And, and that's incredible. I'll never forget my first cap. That, you know, and I don't think you ever will. That's a, an incredible story. I remember watching it live, and uh, I know a lot of people in the States were, like, rooting you on, and UCF fans were rooting you on uh, from there. And, you know, now you look at this year, you, you know, you've been back to the States since with uh, the Brazilian national team. You played uh, last year in the Tournament of Nations tournament, uh, and then you're currently in the She Believes Cup, play, you know, up and even playing in Tampa against the United States. What has this uh, been like to be back in the States a couple times to play uh, being a part of Team Brazil and back in the States? Well, it, it's fun because it, it doesn't matter how how much time goes by. When I come back, I always have people reaching out to me, you know, people who played with me, uh, the coaches who coached me, and uh, my UCF uh, family always reaches out to me, and it's really cool to to have that, you know. it's. It, it, UCF has always made me feel special, even though, you know, I was international, I wasn't from America, I wasn't from from Florida, uh, you know, like I barely spoke English when I got to UCF, so, um, and, and from the first moment, you know, and all of the almost six years that I spent at UCF, I always felt special, I always felt like I belonged there, and I always felt like, um, they appreciated me for what I was, and and that's that's really cool. You don't get that everywhere, you know. And and um and being back here and 
uh, always having someone reach out to me and you know connect and it, it just it just it's really cool because it makes me think about my years in college and makes me me realize and, and be even more thankful for for what they were they uh, like I said I'm I'm very honest when I say it was uh, for six of my best years uh, six of the best years of my life so uh, being here uh, brings that all back and and that's the best part of it do you remember what made you decide to come to the states in UCF because uh, you were young I mean that's kind of a you know I think you what 18 years old when you, you moved here to the state to Orlando and come to go to UCF what was it I know coach they were recruiting you overseas because they always recruited uh internationally but take me through that process as you decided to come to UCF <laughs> so um I uh I was in Brazil and um it's funny because a few months uh, before, Kobe Hale was who saw me for the first time, and he was the one who was in Brazil, uh, you know, looking at players. And I remember um, a couple, a few months before Kobe was uh, at my club team, I had quit at soccer. And here's why. Not because I didn't love the sport or, you know, in Brazil, we don't have sports in, in college. I mean, we do, but it's not like it is here. I mean, it's just for fun, you know? So uh, basically it gets to a point that once you finish high school, you either have to um, go play and, and now it's getting better. But I mean, back in the day, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a very good look for you to go play professional in Brazil or you, you would quit, you know, the sport and you would focus on your studies. So, um, I've always done well in school, and I, I liked studying, you know. So when I when I was about 17, yeah, when I was about 17, I said, oof, uh, it's time for me to just focus on my studies and, you know, try to get into a really good college and, you know, and, 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 and go about life this way. But then um, I remember, like it was today, um, I was on vacation and um, I called my my club coach and I said, "Look, um, you know, I know I I said I wouldn't be a part of the team anymore this year, but you know, I just really miss the girls. Um, you know, that club uh, Guarani was a big part of my life. So I said, "Look, can I just come out for uh, you know practice sometimes? And I don't want to be." I don't want to play the tournament. I don't want to. I don't want to play the games. I just want to, uh, you know, every now and then come out to practice and and be with the girls and see you guys. And he said, "Yeah, you're always welcome." And and said, "You know, come out." That was like a Thursday, and he said, "Come out next Saturday. That's our our next practice. So come out and 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 come say hello to us." So uh, believe it or not, that was the practice that Kobe went to. So after like three months without playing, I just show up that day to see my friends and be on the pitch and have some fun. And then Kobe's there. And it was amazing because um, he liked me. We, we got along well right away. And then he said, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, in seeing more of you and, and talking to you and potentially offering you a scholarship to come to to my university in America. And that was really cool. That 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 just made me realize, you know what, like, 
if I think outside the box a little bit, I can continue my studies and I can continue to play soccer at a high level. So uh, that's when it all started for me. And, and that was really cool because um, after that, after Kobe said that, I was already excited about, you know, uh, doing those two things at once, studying and playing soccer. But then when I started doing some research and seeing what UCF really was, <laughs> that was really cool. It was like, whoa, like, this is a dream. And and that's how it all started. That's unbelievable. And you adjusted pretty well. Uh, your freshman year, you were an All-American. You were the first UCF soccer player to uh, be an All-American as a freshman since, oh, I don't know, someone named Michelle Akers, which is <laughs> that's a pretty pretty good part. Why were you able to adjust so well coming, moving to the States and, and, and adjusted like you did playing with UCF? You ended up playing all four years. You started all four years, uh, rewrote the record books, helped them win conference championships, get to the NCAA tournament throughout your entire career, including the Elite Eight run uh, in 2011. Have you had a chance to reflect on your career and how successful it was and, and how you were able to adjust in the States? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think it was a, a lot of factors. I mean, um, but as I said, I keep talking about this, and I, I really mean it. Like, I think um, UCF gave me the right environment to do all of that. You know, like, I I always had so much support coming from from every, every side, you know, from an ac academic standpoint, like, I, it's not a joke when I say like uh, my English wasn't good at all. You know, like I, I did well. I had to take the SAT and, and the TOEFL to to get into the university, and I I did that. And somehow like I did well, and I got I got the grades and stuff. But um, you know, getting to the United States and going to class and listening to those professors talk talk so fast, I was like, woof, I'm so lost here. And but. I mean, I didn't feel lost at all because I had the support. I had the academic support. And then, like I said, in, in, in soccer, like, the staff was amazing. And it, it always, like, when I felt frustrated or when I felt like I wasn't doing well at something, like, I always had a hint to help me. And I always, people were so, so ready to help. And people, people just gave me so much support and love. I think, I think, um, Playing well on the field and doing my best was the least that I could do, you know, to to thank everyone for everything I was receiving from them. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Uh, you were a four-time Conference USA champion. You were all region all four years. Uh, you were rated as the ranked as the number one UCF soccer player during the third time in Conference USA. You fit when you ended your career. You were uh, right second in career saves, fourth in shutouts, sixth in goals average against. Um, and, and, and the save that everybody still remembers was in Gainesville in that sweet 16 matchup against North Carolina and penalty kicks. That photo still pops up there where you're stretched out there and make the save. Uh, one of the most, uh, significant saves in the history of the program is it got you to the elite eight. What did that, what did that run mean to you? What do you remember about that run getting to the elite eight in that particular, that shootout against North Carolina to get to the elite eight? That was so cool because it was in Gainesville. So we made we made the Gators be like uh, UCF, you know. We had so many fans there, and I remember, like, I remember when I made that save. And first, I couldn't for the 
the following 30 seconds, I couldn't breathe because the dog pile was so huge and I was underneath all of that. So uh, at first I thought I was going to die. <laughs> and then... And then after, like, I saw all of these videos of people jumping, like, people that were on, this, uh, on the stands, jumping on the field and running to get on the dog pile. And I was like, holy cow, this, this was so, that was a huge moment for us. Um, you know, so special because, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't at UCF, but it was close enough that we could make that place UCF, you know, like, we had all of our fans, and it was it was huge, and especially against uh, you know a very traditional team, especially against UNC. So that was uh, that was uh, unbelievable. That was incredible, and um, and I was so happy for Amanda as well. You know, playing against a former a former coach, and you know what that win meant meant to her. So. That was very cool. Very cool. That was one of the biggest moments. And like you said, you know, um, you've been talking about like all those numbers and I, I don't even know, you know, the records and the numbers, but um, it's funny that I was an All-American as a freshman. I think, um, you know, like I was the new kid and, you know, I was different because I'm 5'3 and I'm not uh the typical goalkeeper that you see on the field and i think that caught people's attention you know i was i was uh, who's this goalkeeper who just got here and she's a freshman she's starting and she's doing well but i can't even tell you how much i improved um over the years you know uh when i left ucf i was a, a totally different player from from when i i arrived i mean Big D, ha she is uh, I, she's the the best goalkeeper coach I've I've had by far. You know, no one even compares to her. Her attention to detail, her attention to the game, and and all the specifics. So I I improved a lot. Um, you know, uh, during my my four years at UCF, and I I truly I don't believe. Um, I would be where I am today if it wasn't for those four years and if it wasn't for the knowledge that that she gave me. So, um, and I say that, like, even now, like, I'm playing here in the States and I, I played the first two games um, against England and Japan. And, and right after the game, I'm writing Big D and I'm writing Amanda and <laughs> I'm, asking, I'm asking for their feedback, you know. I'm asking, um, uh, you know, for, the, for their opinion because... Like I said, like those two coaches, they're such, sorry about the word, but um, they're badasses, you know, like they're <laughs> the best, they're the best I've seen. So um, I'm just so lucky to have their support, even though like I graduated college almost 10 years ago. That's, a, that's, that's totally great. What is it about Coach uh, Big D and Coach Donna and then Amanda that, that really uh, that stands out to you playing for them? Because, you know, two seasons ago, Amanda Cromwell at UCLA, they got to the College Cup here in Orlando. They got to play in the College Cup in her backyard in Orlando, and a lot of your former teammates and a lot of their, her former UCF players went to the College Cup supporting her. And she teared up. I asked her about that in the post-match after the final against Stanford, and she got emotional about that, how that meant a lot to her. What is it about? her that you all still to this day were supporter and, and playing for what was that like 
<laughs> That's a good question. If you look around, it's not it's not just me, right? Like yeah. how yeah. how many of her former players are still close to her and still keep in touch and, and still look up to her? I mean, Amanda is so special. I don't even I don't even think she knows like how special she is, you know, and it's not like she's trying hard. She just she just is, you know, like she's authentic. She's who she is, whether you like it or not. And I think that's what drawn us to her, you know, like she is, she's authentic. She knows her stuff. She has had so much experience with soccer. So, I mean, we believe in, in her knowledge and in, in the things that she does on the field. She knows how to win. I mean, what, look what she did with UCF, you know, she was there for what, 15 years. I don't know the exact number, but I mean, she turned that program around and um, I mean, you, you have to acknowledge that, like when, when you have a coach that um, teaches uh, the soccer, teaches uh, that teaches things that are outside of soccer as well, and and is authentic. Like she wasn't trying to please anyone. She was just, uh, she was just like people used to to say in uh, back in the day. She was the real deal, you know. And with Big D is the same. I mean, Big D could relate to the to the players so well and I remember like I in Brazil we never talked about mentality uh you know when when I was 18 like you know we didn't talk about mentality we didn't talk about leader, leadership we didn't talk about you know like um the the mental part of the game and your emotions and all of that and and Big D started um I remember I think it was my my sophomore year or my junior year in college she started the leadership council with us and for me that was like whoa look at this look at all of this information i'm getting and how all like this can help my game improve so much this can help me be a totally different type of player so i think um uh after all like you just those two people uh they're very real like they they are who they are they're not trying to to be like they're not trying to please you like they they just do their thing they they know what they're doing they care about you and i think that makes all the difference a couple more things before we let you go how are you able to follow ucf and ucla because i know i'm talking to a lot of your four teammates they follow both ucf and ucla with coach cromwell obviously uh and then ucf they've had success recently a couple years ago uh was na actually got to host in the ncaa tournament they had a great goalie in themselves and vera Veris, who just graduated a lot of comparisons between her and you uh from afar are you able to follow the two programs yes no i am and i uh, on social media, and I, like I said, I still um, talk to some people at UCF, and 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 of course, like because um, I coached at UCLA for four years, I feel like I I know a little bit more about UCLA than than right now. Like I know about UCF, I think I need to connect a little bit more. But I know about the goalkeeper that you're talking about from Finland. She has been really huge for UCF as well, and for the success that they've had so um yes those are the two programs that the two college programs that i i still follow and i mean ucf is always gonna get my heart you know like i i hope that when i'm done playing my goal is to come back to america and and coach um at the university level and and i hope one of my my dream jobs is to to be back at ucf 
uh, as a coach. So, um, you know, I, I need to keep in touch and, and I need to make sure they know how, how UCF, what UCF means to me because, like I said over and over again in this interview, and I really mean this, UCF changed my life and, and for the best. So um, I'm, I'm, uh, the least that I can do is support UCF and continue to follow them and wish them all the best. I want UCF to continue to grow. Last thing, and, and you mentioned UCF. Uh, they, they, they just announced recently they're going to bring back the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. I wrote on Black and Gold Banneret about some of the people that should be considered to be in the Hall of Fame. You were at the top of the list when it came to women's soccer. It's not just because I'm talking to you. It's just because it's legit. Everybody that, that followed the program would be the first to agree with that. So we believe strongly you're going to get into the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame at some point. It might be this year. It could be a couple years down the road, whenever it is. What would that mean to you if you got into the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame whenever that happens? Wow. Unbelievable. Um, what, what a huge honor because let me tell you, when I was at UCF, um, I was surrounded by really special people, uh, really special players, not only women's soccer, but basketball, softball. So uh, there were some really great athletes there and, you know, uh, being considered to to join that group of elite people, elite athletes, uh, I can't even start putting into words. I mean, when I when I read that article, I was like, "Whoo, this is so cool!" I really I really hope this happens and and that I I could be back there and 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 see see the university again and share my thoughts with um with the people there. So so I could really show them what UCF really means to me. I, I agree. And I don't think it's a question of if. It's just a question of when uh, you get inducted because you certainly deserved it. Uh, Alina Reyes, thank you so much for joining us under your busy schedule. I know it's a huge time for you playing, obviously, with Brazil as you're getting trying to get ready to maybe make the team and play, participate in the World Cup this summer in France, and then playing, obviously, professionally over there in Spain. Uh, thank you so much, uh, and thank you for all the memories you've done with UCF, and, and certainly and you've made everybody proud. Uh, with the, uh, that follows UCF, and uh, good luck, and uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you play more and uh, staying in touch. Thank you, Eric. This has been fun, like talking about UCF and my years there. This has been really fun. Thanks for inviting me, and, and thank you, too, for all you've done at uh, all you've done for UCF. I mean, you were also part of my career there, so uh, – <laughs> Thank you very much, and it has been really fun. Yeah, I was just the annoying guy that asked you annoying questions after matches. That's okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, it's even more impressive that you couldn't understand what I was saying back then. So <laughs> that, that's impressive. Hey, listen, we're, both of us were bilingual, so we're used to it. You know, we deal with what we do. You know, what are you going to do? Awesome. All right, All right buddy. Cool. Take care, bud. Thank you. Have a good day. That's ah, great. Uh, great. Thanks again to Alina Reyes for joining us on a busy schedule. She's uh, heading back there, getting ready for her Spanish league. And, uh, boy, I got to give you credit, Jeff. I remember we did a, a Hall of Fame special, and you said she should be in the Hall of Fame sooner than later, uh, maybe even this year. And whether she's in this year, we might find out by at some point during the very near future whether she's in or not. 
what a class act. When you do a Mount Rushmore of women's soccer, I think Alina Reyes has got to be right at that list, right? Well, I, yeah, and I think especially not just, you know, what she was able to do at UCF, but what she was also able to do after UCF. I think that's, you know, that's certainly got to play a part in it. I, I think for me, the thing about Alina that was so remarkable is, uh, and this is this is not a knock at all. It, it might sound like it, but she's really short <laughs> for a goalkeeper. Um, she was, uh, you know, she was one of the um, shorter players on the roster. Remember when she was at UCF, but uh, was so talented and played her way up into the starting role uh, at a very early point in her UCF career, and just never let it go. And it it it, it lends yourself not just to how athletic she is and you see that you know every time she's out there even now but also just she has such command of the field and she always did when she was at UCF and now you see it where she's you know directing you know directing traffic and telling you know people like Marta where to go you know and yeah. um and, and she's always had that that leadership quality but uh, it, you know it, it's it's one of those things where it's a leadership quality where you know, not just command of the field, but also her teammates just absolutely loved her at UCF. Yeah. Really, really loved her, and um, and we loved covering her because she was so because she was so kind and um, and she just she just got it. So I I personally, as someone who covered her for two years, I can't I can't be happier for her because you know she to see what she accomplished at UCF and then to play in the Olympics and now she's on the verge of playing in the World Cup representing Brazil um it, it and to and to know that I covered her when she was you know in her early 20s and actually a late late teen she was 19 years old when I when when I first yeah. uh came back to UCF to work in the video department and, yeah, yeah I mean amazing and she still remembers that she still remembers that I mean you heard there at the end how she thanked me for covering her even though she joked about her language there uh, but she even went off the air. We were talking about you and the other way you covered her and uh, very down to earth, uh, low key, just an awesome person. And uh, hopefully uh, she uh, she's makes that World Cup and credit to Coach Cromwell. I mean, I'm sure yeah. you were in the same. Remember, she was back even when she was playing with UCF. She was t- telling us off the air and on the air she should be on the Brazilian national team back then. And uh, thankfully, uh, she tried out and made a made an effort right before the Olympics and was able to make the team and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that they uh, she they, she was able to pull that off. Yeah, and what a tremendous honor too to do that. I mean, this is Brazil we're talking about, man. I mean, this is not you know it, not to sneeze at any other school at, at any other uh, you know national teams that are out there, but you know they're they're up there. They're up there with the United States and with Japan and China and uh, it, it, I, I, the and Germany and. To see not just you know Aline, but now we're starting to see some other UCF players um, get some run on their respective national teams. I know UCF had a couple of players on the German under twenty one national team a couple of years ago, and um, you know Stephanie Sanders for one what uh, was on there. I think they had one more on there. Forgive me for not remembering any names, but um, that shows you how far you know how really embedded in the women's soccer international community. UCF is so, and, no and, and Alina no is a good indicator of that. I would argue that post Michelle Akers era, that Alina Reyes is the face of women UCF women's soccer. Yeah, I mean, well, she's certainly up there. I, I think you could probably put a couple more names in there as well. Um, you know, Becca Thomas comes to mind. Um, sure, but Reyes was it, the one that remember everybody yeah. remembers that save in the uh, in the, against North Carolina. Yeah, one of the greatest 16, plays. Get them to the elite eight. Yeah, one of the greatest I mean, plays ever. And you know, yeah, I. I, I 
I, I would put that up there with Carol Rodriguez's bicycle kick is maybe like the best UCF play uh, that I personally have ever seen. I know that, uh, you know, uh, some of our friends who played on the soccer team from back in the day, like, you know, Courtney Wooden um, and even, you know, I'm sure Coach Cromwell, you know, would probably be like, hey, well, there were a few others that maybe you guys didn't see. But, you know, those are some of the great moments that I think that I think we should all remember. And and that's what that's what makes you, you know, Hall of Fame material. Right. So um, I hope that Alina does get in, if not this year, certainly sometime soon, because she deserves it. Amen to that. All right. All right. So let's roll. Uh, let's roll over to women's soccer. Uh, excuse me. We just talked about women's soccer. Let's talk about women's basketball here um, as we re- as we um, plow through some of the, the sports that are kind of winding down and then winding up at the same time. So they finished off their regular season this week, uh, got a, a couple of key wins, one against Tulane at home uh, on senior day, uh, and, uh, and also then went on the road and finished out. Uh, two days after the men's team beat Houston, they went to Houston and beat the Cougars themselves. Of course, the Houston women's team, not quite as good as the men's team, but uh, still for UCF to finish out the season on uh, on four consecutive wins um, and head into the American Athletic Conference Championship with a record of 24-5 and overall, 13-3 and in the American. They head to Uncasville, Connecticut uh, for and the Mohegan Sun, uh, arena. That's the arena inside the the casino, the Mohegan Sun Casino out there, which is actually closer to Providence than Hartford. But um, they, uh, what a year for women's basketball! They finished with um, the most regular season wins in uh, program history, um, the best season since they were uh, uh, capping off a, a stretch of seasons, the best three seasons consecutively. Uh, since they've been in um, Division One, and uh, and they're not done yet. So um, yeah, as we look at what you know, this team has been able to accomplish. Obviously, you know, KK Wright's going to have some postseason awards heading her way as we get ready for the tournament starting this weekend. I believe it starts on Friday. Um, but you know, let's. I, I want to put this season into perspective um, in terms of women's basketball because we saw some. You know, back when you and I were students, there was kind of this. There's kind of this. Oh, I hear your background. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Are you all set? Okay. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. So, back when we were students, you know, we saw a couple UCF teams in the ASUN that were pretty good. I think one year under Gail Striegler, UCF was um, the regular season um, champion. But uh, but now, you know, we're one day out from uh, the women's basketball tournament for UCF, and the expectations are. I think higher than ever. Now I don't know again if they're going to beat UConn, but uh, UCF does get the first the first round by, which is uh, which is always key because you get that extra uh, you get that extra day off, and they will face the winner of Tulsa and Wichita State teams who they've beaten before in the past. First game is going to be six p.m. Uh, or excuse me, that that game is going to be Friday at six p.m. on ESPN three. That Tulsa Wichita State game if you want to see what UCF is uh, who UCF is going to play the night's first game as the two seed 6 p.m. on Saturday in the quarterfinals uh and then assuming they get through that game they would play the winner of number three seed Cincinnati against either Temple or Memphis um but putting this you know this into perspective you know what are the expectations I think for UCF um heading into this tournament well, I think it's get to the final. 
Yeah. Uh, they're at the two seed. The tricky matchup is potentially Cincinnati. Yeah, uh, that's a, remember you were there when they played earlier this year. The one regular season meeting came down to the last possession. Yep, um, that could certainly derail them. And I think the question is, as you look up Charlie Cream and his latest bracketology, is does UCF have to get to the final to really secure the at-large bid, or are they already in? And I, you know that's kind of the uncertainty. You would think they're already in with what they've done, but with the way the league is down this year. I think you feel better if you just got to the final, right? I mean, you just yeah. would feel a lot more comfortable come selection Monday well, night a couple of weeks from now. Well, well let me uh, put it this way: let's—they're uh, 15th in the RPI, 15th with a 24 and five record, you know, and and 12 and three on the road, which is always which is always kind of key. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, Where does I think, Charlie have them in? Where does Charlie? I, have I gotta them I gotta find that out. But uh, go yeah, ahead with Charlie. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think to me, it's about the set. You know, get to the final, and then you're it. I don't think there's any questions at that point. You've done. I think even in the semifinals, if you lose in the semis, they're probably going to get in anyway. Um, but you just, you know, you never know with committees. I mean, you just never know. Yeah. And you just rather just take care of business. But I think the expectations to get to the final and then, you know, you get national exposure probably against UConn. I mean, mm-hmm. um, they, by knows? the way, maybe, Charlie maybe has them some- going to uh, Starkville. They would be a 10 seed facing, he has. Central Michigan as the MAC champion as the seventh seed. Now, so, now, I mean, do you still have him as the last four in? Uh, no, no, he moved him. No, he moved them up. He well, that's good. So news. they're not so even I, I, listed in that. News. That's good news. That's good news, and I'm happy to see. So I, I, I agree with you. I think they're in. Just I mean, and I would say this. Here's what I would say: Don't lose the opening round game. Don't lose the opening round game, and right. I think they're in. Um, but I think those are the expectations. And then I think the question is moving forward as we'll get down down the road is can this team do something that no UCF team has done, which is win an NCAA tournament game? I mean, that's the other thing. Yeah. Um that would be kind of unique. And I believe too, this will be the first time that the program has made the NCAA tournament without winning the automatic bid, right? Correct. In theory. So um, not to suggest they could. I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe UConn at some point is going to lose one of these conference tournament games, right? I mean, at some point, <laughs> well, think? maybe. I don't know. Hopefully. They're they're a hundred and some and nothing, a hundred and some and zero in the American, including tournament games since uh, since the conference started in twenty thirteen. So, um, but this might be the most vulnerable they've been in a while, right? Like, I mean, uh, now I'm not well, suggesting anybody will take advantage of it, but I mean, they they Houston gave them a game on Senior Day a little bit. Y- yeah. Um, yes. Yes, but to what extent? I don't know if "vulnerable" is the right word. Um, it, it, it's it's kind of like uh, it, it, are are they susceptible? I mean, sure. I mean, I think anybody is on a given particular time. You know, I I was impressed with what I, I think this is interesting here because I don't know what you saw from that UConn South Florida game because I watched that game, the game that, that was, was another game, right? They didn't really, uh, yeah, they right? that game was tight until the fourth quarter, and and South Florida ended up losing by ten. You kind of everybody, you kind of kept waiting for UConn to kind of kind of pour it on at some point because Katie Lou Samuelson was a plan, and and they it it just South Florida just kind of turned it into a it turned it into like a, a ping pong match and. Uh, it, it, it was it was just weird seeing UConn kind of they they had a rash of turnovers in that game. Yep. Um, you the 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 thing is with that you know, and and by the way, South Florida was really depleted, and I think they were also playing out of their skulls in that game too. 
Well, they slowed the game down. It was a low-scoring game. Yeah. Uh, shortened the game, which is what you have to do. And I, I thought they did a very good job executing that. Obviously, Samuelson's health is in question. Uh, I would expect, I assume she'll be back for the conference tournament. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's what my point is. I mean, USF is depleted. Gave them a battle. Who's to say UCF couldn't, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 it's just hard to say right now. I mean, if you're UCF and you get a shot, you you win your two games and you get that shot at UConn, okay? Um, and, and by the way, the problem with Katie Lou is uh, is that she has uh, some back issues, some muscle spasms in her lower right. back that she's been suffering from, which is a real bummer because she is she is so fun to watch as a as, as a player. Um, but you know that's one of those things where like you got to rest, man. You can't. You can't go right. full tilt, and uh, and it's also one of those injuries that like you're just th- th- it never really goes away. It's always there. Um, so uh, I mean that's that's a big question mark I think for Gino Oriema heading into this tournament. Now are, is is UConn still the overwhelming favorite? Of course they are. Um, it, it, anything less than that would be would be a phenomenal phenomenal upset, but. If you're going to get a shot at them, this might be your best opportunity if you're a team in the Americans. So, um, Correct. They but are... That's it. I'm, I'm telling you right now, Cincinnati, if UCF plays Cincy in the semi, that will, as you know very well, watching that in person, that yep. will not be an easy game. Yeah, uh, that's, that's that's a tough game. And, and let's give some credit to Cincinnati, too, because that they've been an upheaval. Oriema himself was pretty uh, vocal about you know how, how they uh, let go of their coach last year. They have a first-year head coach this year. And they have really been the surprise of the league, and uh, and it, it gave UCF all they could. I mean, it was uh, it was a tight game down the stretch. I think that was the game where KK Wright hit the uh, hit the runner and then got the steal in the final seconds to seal it out. But um, but yeah, let's give some credit to uh, let's give some credit to them. That could be a very good game if UCF does get through that game and they get a shot at UConn. You never know what's going to happen. Um, obviously, this is basically a home. The championship, should they all get there, would be a home game for Connecticut, um, which is set for Monday at 7 p.m. on ESPN two. But um, yeah, I mean this this could be uh, it, this could be a, a, anyone in the Americans' best shot at UConn in since really since the last five six years that we've started this league. So again, yeah. UCF's first game in the tournament will be Saturday at 6 p.m. on ESPN three. Assuming they get through that, they would play in the semifinals uh, at 6.30 p.m. on Sunday on uh, ESPNU. So uh, keep Some an eye. TV exposure. There. Yep. I mean, yep. That's opportunities there that, you know, again, that women's has had this year that we've talked about and written about on uh, on Black and Gold Bannerette. Also, the awards will come out, I believe, Friday. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, I expect. Right before the tournament coach. starts, I expect, right? Right, and hopefully Coach Abe gets to be named Coach of the Year in the league. Uh, I think she's overdue, uh, so we'll see if she gets it. She is. I mean, it's either going to be right. I mean, it's going to be got to be her or you know Gino, I guess, in theory. <laughs> so, well, I, you could you could make a case for the for the Cincinnati coach too, going twelve and four in the league in their first year. You could. Uh, the counter I would have is UCF was picked fourth in the preseason in the conference, so it's, fair. They, they, it's not like they were supposed to be second best team. Uh, so hopefully she gets it, and if she gets it, by the way, or UCF's SID Megan Herbeth would complete a trifecta. Women's <laughs> soccer. Tiffany Sahadak was a coach of the year in the America two years ago. Megan was the SID in softball. 
when Rene Lourdes Gillespie was coach of the year in the conference in 2015 and the year with Abe in 2019. That's a trifecta right there, my friend. Megan's the lucky charm, man. You know, we need, maybe That's we should, maybe we should have her on the podcast. We might be get like podcast of the year or something. I don't know. All right. She'll probably turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't blame her in one bit. All right, so that's women's basketball. For a, we'll see them on uh, Saturday. Softball. Eric Lopez. Big weekend for them uh, as they had the UCF Invitational. They won their first three games, um, beating Toledo, Dartmouth, and La Tech. Um, or excuse me, beg your pardon. Yeah, um, and then facing number one Florida State in two consecutive games. And uh, lost two to one in the first one, lost nine to three in the second one before coming back. I thought this was key. Last night, Wednesday night, they beat another ACC opponent in uh, Boston College. Um, obviously, you were doing play by play for all those games. Um, Aaliyah White got the W. She went uh, six and a third, gave up one earned run on five hits, walked six, struck out two. Pretty good outing for her. She'll probably tell you that, you know, it wasn't the best, but it, especially with the six walks. But. You know, that's an yeah, ACC you team. Up with a, you can thank the ump in his small strike zone. Oh, see, Eric, throwing, throwing fireballs out here already. But, okay, so let me ask you this. Two losses to number one Florida State. Coming back and beating Boston College uh, two days later. What did we learn from that? Well, I think we learned that the resilient team, it's a team that uh, put Florida State behind them. I mean, the Sunday game was a classic. It was a well-played game. It was it could have gone either way. UCF had chances to win that game. Aaliyah matched Megan King, who was the Women's College World Series hero for Florida State, pitch for pitch. I mean, you're talking about a Florida State team, Jeff, that's coming in ranked number one in the country in batting average, number one in the country in runs scored, number one in uh, slugging percentage. I think they're number two in slugging percentage. Mm-hmm. Um they have it all from one to nine, and and I thought Aliyah did a great job in that game. You know, the second game just got kind of got away from UCF a little bit there. Florida State made some adjustments against Vasquez and the youngsters, but you know they bounced back and beat a Boston College team that's a pesky team on a Wednesday. It's very easy to have a hangover from Florida State, and I thought you know Cassidy Brewer got them off to the great start with the two run homer. So I think they're in a good spot, thirteen and seven. They're receiving votes in the polls, and that tells you how much respect they got based on how they played. Right, going nine and three in this homestand with two losses to the number one ranked team and defending national champions is uh, nothing to be ashamed of. So now the thing we're going to learn is they're going to go to Clearwater, and they've got games that, quite honestly, they should win. They could win all those games, but will they be? You know, they got to stay consistent. And a consistent high level because we talked about this last year. What kept the team out of the tournament was some of those losses that you're like, oh, you wish you hadn't lost those games. And I think Clearwater, they need to dominate and have a good success weekend on the road here now and show they can win away from home and build some uh, rhythm that way because they got five, an eight game road trip now, got five games in Clearwater, and then a big one at Florida next week. Can't get caught looking ahead though. That's why this team, I'm curious to see how they come out in Clearwater. Don't get caught looking ahead to Florida, which is a big one, and then at Stetson uh, to conclude the road trip. So it'll be interesting to see how they do this in-state road trip there. But, you know, I think Aliyah's pitching well. Uh, offensively, there's some good – you know, they're deep a little bit. they got some bats that are starting to come to life. It was good to see Brewer hit a home run. Um, you know, so we'll see how they do. But I thought it was a very good homestand, and I thought they represented themselves great, and I thought it was a great atmosphere on Sunday when they had the second-largest crowd at 1161. On Sunday night, and Sunday, then a Monday night, a rare Monday night. I think that crowd was a top five, top ten crowd of all time. Mm-hmm. So it was a good, good attended 
uh, weekend for the sport and for the program. Yeah, such a bummer that they couldn't get one of those two. You know, that would have been really, really sure. awesome too. But you know, we, I mean, it's Florida State we're talking about. Um, let me ask you this question. We've talked. You've talked before about how impressed you've been with Brianna Vasquez, who's who's you know found more or less that number two pitcher spot, which is something that you know has always been something we've always been looking for with this team. On the hitting side, who has been the real breakout surprise for you so far in the first twenty games? Uh ooh, that's a good one. Um, that's an interesting question. I mean, Jasmine, as far as I don't know if it's a surprise, but has definitely much improved, leads the team in RBIs. So, I mean, she's on pace to already surpass her most their hits and RBIs from last year, which she had last year. It's a total. Yeah, and she's got she's 19 runs batted in the first 20 games. Yeah. That's remarkable. She's slugging 406. Yeah, uh, she's been very much improved. Glover has been phenomenal. Glover's playing more to what her pre-injury was in 2017. Uh, so she's been tremendous uh, there as well. I think Aaron Emanuel has been a nice surprise with the bat. I know what she could do with the glove, but with the bat, she's been pretty good at the bottom of the order there. So, um, yeah, and I've been impressed with some of the bench players there. Uh, Tumberland, Alicia Tumberland, who's caught five games, uh, had four shutouts, has been deep productive with the bat. It's created some depth behind the plate. So what Coach Ball is uh, able to do, for example, on Wednesday night, is able to slip, you know, move Brewer to the DP spot. And one of the things she likes to do is you kind of give a player a day off, but yet keep him in the lineup. So Brewer doesn't catch, but you, she's still in the lineup at DP. You see this a lot in Major League Baseball, and I think Coach Ball Malone has a similar philosophy on that. And that's why you see a, a lot of players getting playing time because she wants to create rest and create kind of a depth there, and she's pretty much done that. All right, so thirteen and seven, heading out to Clearwater. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So if you're a night fan and you're in the Tampa area, you might want to head on over to that. Uh, USF is officially hosting um, that tournament. The opponents for the Knights, however, are Seton Hall and St. Joe's on Friday in the early afternoon. Chattanooga and Furman mid-afternoon Saturday, and then St. John's on Sunday at uh, 11.15 um, in the morning. Any particular uh, out of those five that we should keep at a close eye on in terms of uh in terms of you know when the rpi comes out and all that i mean chattanooga has always been pesky uh that's a pesky game and you know st john's is a big east contender uh for softball uh but you know i look at the, i think this is one about ucf and about themselves and being focused and, and about you know playing to a high level and not playing to the level of the competition i think that's something you know i think coach ball malone even was would have liked them to play even a higher level even on wednesday winning against boston college again look i mean again it, it's no secret you look at last year they had the wins to make the tournament what cost them in not making the ncaa tournament was losses to princeton and utsa because that hurt their rpi mm-hmm. and i think it's about being focused and win the games you're supposed to and i think that's what we'll find out about this team keep in mind Cassidy Brewer is the only player on this roster that has played in an NCAA tournament game in a regional. Mm -hmm. Uh, Glover redshirted in 2016. That's it. So this team is still learning to to play at a high-level stakes. I mean, it's a young team from that standpoint. Um, So it'll be interesting to see. I'll be interested to see Vasquez get more innings. How about Vasquez getting the save in her first collegiate appearance with the bases loaded against Boston College? That was impressive and a positive there. So... Um, you know, we'll see how they come out this weekend and how locked in they come in and try to build, uh, win some games in the neutral field. That's the beauty of it. You get some neutral wins; those are important. Yeah, 
This is a huge tournament. There's a ton of teams at this thing. Yep. Um, Army, Central Connecticut, uh, Central Michigan, Chattanooga, Colgate, Furman, UMass. Same, I, I, yeah, a whole bunch of it. Wisconsin's going to be there. Uh, Villanova. Um, you know, you go on and on here. It's a well, well-run tournament. Yeah. Uh, Ken does a good job with that. Where's uh, it going to be exactly? It's in Clearwater at Eddie Seymour Stadium. Now, what South Florida does some games, some of their games will be played at uh, at Clearwater, then some of their games will be played on campus. But UCF's right. playing all their games at the Eddie Seymour Stadium at Clearwater, which is where uh, there's a lot of tournaments that are played there year round. I mean, ESPN a couple weeks ago had their major tournament there in that stadium. I was there, um, and that's where the U.S. tryouts every year take place. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a it's a very solid stadium. There's about eight fields there, so that's why you're able to get as many teams as you just mentioned because there's eight fields there, and you can yeah. get as many games in as you can. And a lot of teams like coming down to Florida and playing those tournaments. And for UCF, it's a great per- an advantage because of the way the RPI works. You get credited for playing games in a neutral field, even though for them it's like a bus trip, but that's a neutral field game. So that counts more than, say, if you were to host your own tournament, if that right. makes sense. And that's, why, and that's why USF, by the way, does that. That's why they host the tournament in Clearwater, because for them, they get credited with a, a neutral field playing in Clearwater as opposed to on campus. Yeah. And they uh, it, it, now, if you're, if you're thinking about heading down there, by the way, it's, it's a block north of Gulf to Bay Boulevard, right after you get over the causeway. And yep. uh, uh, over by, it's actually not not that far from um, uh, the the Clearwater Threshers. We'll be keeping an eye uh, on that. Real quick, want to wrap up tennis here, real quick, because um, what are we uh, right now? UCF in uh, in a women's tennis. Well, first of all, I want to talk about men's tennis, Eric Lopez, because that team is starting to heat up. They've won six matches in a row. They defeated Tulane four to three on uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, they uh, Tulane's ranked number forty-two in the country. They beat Miami four nothing on College Match Day, uh, and they are getting this. And they have the stretch where they play number thirty-six Penn State, number two Wake Forest, and number four Virginia at home in the next week. Whew, this thing is starting to heat up for men's tennis, and they're getting hot at just the right time, aren't they? Yeah, I mean the Miami. I watched the Miami match on the Tennis Channel. That was they were. Very dominant win, and yeah, they're peaking at the right time. That's why I was not too concerned with the slow start, quote unquote, because they played a very tough schedule. Yeah. I was and, concerned, uh, so, <laughs> but I'm yes, concerned all the time. <laughs> yes, you are. Uh, but John knows what he's doing, and so they're peaking at the right time. They got a good schedule strength, and you're peaking right in time to get some conference matches. And before you know it, in a month from now, you got the conference tournament and try to get yourself back into the NCAA tournament. So, yeah, uh, yeah this is a good time to play. That was a good, good stretch for them to get those wins. And by the way, if you're looking to head down to the USTA National Tennis Complex, this is the weekend and do it with that Friday at 6 p.m. Uh, against Penn State. The, the Sunday match at noon against Wake. That's the number two team in the country. That's really going to um, Are we doing you. that? Are we doing that? Are we doing that this weekend? I, I we say, now, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, – it's, it's hard to say for me right now, but, right. you know, that, that Tuesday against Virginia looks a lot of fun. Um okay. And uh, looking on later on that that noon against Illinois on uh, Friday, March the second, March excuse me, March the twenty second actually looks pretty good too. So um, I'm keeping that in my back pocket. We'll see what we'll, right. we'll see what we can do from there. All right, and then women. All right, so they come off that big win against Florida, right? What do you do for follow up? They got Yale and they beat them six to one, 
And now they're looking at a doubleheader this uh, Friday against Tulane and Miami of Ohio. Then they got Penn on Sunday. That's a big game or a big matchup. And then they 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 do some conference and they go back into conference against a Southern Methodist on Wednesday. So you know, right now they're actually standing in the catbird seat. Man, they are ten and two overall. Um, any potential for a slip up here? Um, as they as they move forward, you know, because it's one thing to beat Florida, right? But what do you do the rest of the way from there against you know some of this other competition? I mean, it's one it's always one thing to get up for Florida, but what do you do after that? I think that's going to be the key right here for UCF women's tennis as they uh, as they head down the stretch with a couple of really good teams coming up on the slate, right? Absolutely, and yeah, just keeping the play in the high level and then try to keep winning there. I'm mean, sure they're going to drop one at some point, right? I mean, you're human. Uh, but you try to minimize that, and you keep playing the high level, and hopefully the pollsters don't drop them in the polls and the rankings. There, hey, they, they're not like even the in the top twenty-five in the ITA. How is this even possible? I don't know. We can't blame the football committee for this, so I don't know who to blame <laughs> for this. Maybe well, the computer. Maybe the computer. I don't know, I don't know man. I, I, I like like what do they have to do? It's a great yeah. question. I, I don't have an answer on this one. I, I I'll defer to them on that. Uh, as far as yeah. the rankings, it's a little right weird, now, but yeah, right hopefully. now UCF is forty fourth in the ITAs. So I mean that gives you that gives you an idea of wh- where they stand roughly. But um, no, I I, I, I I there's nothing really you can do to 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 control that, but keep winning. I mean, keep winning yeah. that. Keep keep beating the competition that's in front of you. Um, they do have some con- those a, a good stretch of conference matches coming up. Tulane, SMU, Wichita, Tulsa. Um, they got South Florida mid-April, of course. But um, let's not forget that they still have you know teams like FIU still on the slate um, before they get ready for conference. So you can roll through conference um, and get ready for and, and get ready for whatever comes your way. Illinois, by the way, is probably their best matchup coming up on March the 24th because uh, Illinois right now is 8th in the ITA. So that'll give you a good indication of where they stand on that. So we'll have to keep an eye on uh, on. so we'll have to keep an eye on how they perform um, going forward from that. So um, but actually, no, I correct myself. They're 22. I, you know, for some reason when I was looking at the thing, they're they're not 44th, they're 22nd. The men are 44th. I beg your pardon. Yeah, I was looking at the totally... Yeah, I was looking at the wrong thing. But again, but my point again about Illinois stands because Illinois is 20th. So, um, so yeah, that gives you a, a, at least a much better indicator, which does not bad thirty second, you know. So there's there's a couple good chances to move up there. SMU's fifty fourth. Got to win those matches though, going for it. All right, let's wrap this puppy up. Uh, what you got coming up, Eric Lopez? I know we did some uh, Hall of Fame stuff on women's basketball this week since uh, uh, since the Knights are heading to the conference tournament, and we had uh, a couple really good um, a couple really good nominees there as well. What else you got coming up? Well, we got TV numbers I'm going to have. I uh, got the numbers for the Houston game as well as college game day numbers for UCF and Houston. We're going to have numbers for the Cincinnati game. We're going to have numbers hopefully for the Temple game. I mean, so we're going to have a lot of TV numbers coming up on the site on the Bannerette. And mm-hmm. uh, who knows, uh, Jeffrey, some breaking news maybe. we hearing from sources. We might hear soon about the Hall of Fame class for UCF. Sources say. <laughs> so we might have, yeah. a, who knows, we may have an emergency podcast to break that down or down or so at least yeah. have a recap of it. So that's, uh, we're looking forward to that hopefully coming out soon. Yeah. Uh, who knows, by the time some of you are listening to this, it might even be out. So. Right. 
Well, um, oh, by the way, one little news note that we wanted to pass along. Congratulations to Danny White, who's named the NACDA. That's the National Association of Collegiate Directors of Athletics. The uh, AD of the Year Award. You know what? No surprises there. Danny White getting stuff done. Um, you know, he's uh, he won it a lot. There's he's actually not the only one who won it. He won it alongside Patrick Chun of Washington State, Jamie Pollard of Iowa State, and Deborah Yao um, at uh, NC State. So, congrats to Danny for all this. For you know, hey, well deserved. And you know, we'll see if he gets. Uh, we'll see if he what he's able to do in pulling in. Maybe who knows? We hear about the television contract that's coming up. I know that the yeah. exclusive negotiating window ended with uh, ESPN um on uh, on the 28th but of course there there are some other things that have to be you know some other i's that have to be dotted and t's that have to be crossed um after that they're not going to announce the deal right away because obviously all the schools have to go back to their the ad's have to go back to their board of trustees and get the votes on that and then the ad's have to vote um there's there's some other um you know fine print that has to get that has to get handled and taken care of but um I know that's something that a lot of UCF fans have been working at. There have been some speculation that some stuff that came out at, at uh, 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 from a, a Memphis Board of Trustees meeting, which ended up being essentially, according to them, entirely speculative. So a lot of people picked that up and ran with it. Um, we didn't write up a story on that, but um, and there was a reason why. is because I, I didn't think, and I'm pretty sure you probably thought the same thing when you saw that, I didn't think those numbers looked really solid. Um it was just very, very difficult to, you know, verify and pin down that that's kind of what they were looking at. So we're not, so I, fans aren't going to like us saying this. We're just going to have to wait and see for that. But if it comes down, Stay you can rest assured, we're going to be right on top of it because I'm sure there's going to be some interesting things coming out of that TV contract with uh, when it comes out. So make sure you follow us at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter for all the latest. Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Follow us individually at uh, Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo. Follow Brian at Spokes underscore Murphy for all your latest with UCF baseball, of course. Thanks to Brian for joining us from um, on campus. And thanks also to Alini Reyes. Best of luck to Alini as Brazil gets ready for the upcoming World Cup. You can follow her on Twitter at Alini Reyes GK. That's A-L-I-N-E-R-E-I-S-G-K. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you again next week.